kumbaya pretty much i mean the marshmallows it, dude, this, this was a very kumbaya thing yeah yes it was we're a crunchy company man we're <laughs> very much uh, all about the uh, all about people and human interactions and resources. resources no not human resources yeah resources resources for humans maybe anyway um so we're back and, uh, and we got we got stuff to talk about. We do. We got a community topic. We've got uh, second generation packaging. Uh, what else do we got? I'm actually looking forward to hearing your report on the two GP stuff. Oh, my report! Now it's become an, uh, an official book I report. First, heard about it two trailheads ago, and I don't think I've really learned that much more about it since. So I'm, I know some of it's actually going to be going more GA and whatever. I don't even know. So you'll have to. But yeah, um, but no, I uh, I have one thing I guess we can start with, which is uh, actually I think I saw this on Hacker News. Oddly, it's like on the rare time that something from Salesforce actually gets a little bit of attention on Hacker News. Mm -hmm. But they um, Salesforce open sourced this thing they're calling I don't know how you pronounce it, but a CTRL. So you can see that GitHub.com/slash/Salesforce/slash/CTRL. But they call it a conditional transformer language model for controllable generation. You, you know what that means, right, John? No. <laughs> so anyway, they linked to some paper. I don't know if, I guess, probably Salesforce wrote it. It's got um, a name I recognize on here is Richard Socher. But I guess all these other people are Salesforce people. I don't know. But it's, uh, I had to actually, let me see if I can find the, someone explain this in somewhat normal. Okay. Salesforce has created a computer program where you can put in a small prompt like, Wikipedia page about badgers, or news article starting with the line, Donald Trump was impeached today, or French translation of I like pears. <laughs> and it tries to predict what the text will be. So then it actually kind of writes this article about what you just said. So it's just like the title and it tries to just make something up based on it? Yeah, and I totally just, and it does it, but it does it based on, I think they put, um, oh, what was it like? Uh, I think it was like, 350 gig of, of text went into this or something like that. So it's basically plagiarizing from multiple sources. Well, I'd actually, what I just thought of, I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier, is this is totally a, it's a homework machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. You can also run the program in re reverse where you put in a snippet of text and it predicts whether it came from Wikipedia or Mystery Novel or the fitness subreddit, whatever. It predicts where it came from just based on some snippet. Salesforce created the program by first writing some relatively simple linear algebra and then fiddling with the constants until the output happened to look right. Again, what everyone calls AI nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, you know, some stats, some linear algebra, some, some regressions. <laughs> I did there, that trying to create a string randomizer and just kind of mess with the, the numbers in the index yeah. to, till it came up with something I thought was cool looking. The program contained 1.6 billion constants. I'm not sure what kind of constants I mean, but anyway, they said which is more than any other program of its kind. The program is also special because Salesforce has released it publicly. Other organizations like OpenAI have previously claimed that the text generation software is too dangerous to release to the general public. Well, it, it kind of is, isn't it? I don't know. Um, but some guy um, actually got it running. And was posting some results to his um, to Twitter, so thought I would share some examples. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he says I finally got CTRL working or control. I don't know is that how you would say that. And then he says, and uh, 
so here's the here's one thing he put in. Um, I guess. Oh, here we go. He asked a question. So, what is love? Answer: Love. Okay. Question: How do you know if someone has a disease? Answer: Look at them. Okay. Question: When does the disease begin? Answer: When they are born. So that one's I don't know. Not I mean none of those answers were wrong necessarily. Just not impressive. No. Here's here's a question: uh, What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Answer: Mach one. Is it right? <laughs> no, a swallow's a bird. Mach one is like six hundred and fifty miles. I an know, hour. I know, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. How fast does a swallow fly when it flies at high speed? Answer: Mach two. <laughs> Possible. But then he tested out the like generate the article from a URL, so you can give it a URL, I guess, like uh-huh. a fake URL, maybe. I think that's what it is, and then it writes an article, something like that. I don't know. But it, it actually, let's see. Now the real test, having the AI generate text from a fake URL, it worked. So here we go. The URL he put in, just a fake URL. NewYorkTimes.com slash some random date slash US slash Trump dash arrested dash impeach dot HTML. Obviously, people are very obsessed with Trump being impeached and arrested. <laughs> um, title, Trump is arrested and impeached. Washington dash Trump, uh, President Trump, who has been accused of sexual assault by more than a dozen women, was arrested early Friday morning at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, on charges that he had abused the power granted him under an obscure 1799 law. The White House said Mr. Trump's arrest stemmed from, quote, multiple allegations made against him, unquote, but it provided no further details. I mean, the article goes on, and it reads like that. It's completely made up. Yeah, but it sounds like it pulled it from a lot of different articles. I think it's synthesized. I don't think I don't think it's like copying and pasting. I don't think it's plagiarizing. It sounds like it's copying and pasting. Because it sounds good. But I think it's good. <laughs> well, some of it sounds like current event stuff, and some of it sounds like just ancillary things. Here's, here's another link, a fake link he gave it. Medium.com slash I am an AI thought leader. <laughs> there we go. Title, I am an AI thought leader. The first thing you need to know about me is that I am a software engineer. My job at Google was to build the search engine for all of Google's products. In my spare time, I worked on machine learning and artificial intelligence. When it came time to start working with AI, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. It wasn't just building a better search engine, but also creating something new in the world of AI. This isn't something that's, oh, sorry, this isn't some crazy idea. It's actually already happening. It There's no way that. it made that up. And it, he gave it Kickstarter, like a fake Kickstarter project URL. Uh, it's called a robot that kills you. <laughs> you know, Kickstarter is right. So yeah. you put on, yeah. okay. So they're trying to build a robot that kills you. Uh, and the, so the about is a robot that kills you. Uh, the, the goal is 67,500, 1131 backers. And here's the description. The killer bot is a robot that can kill you. It has been designed to be able to do things like pick up and throw objects or even climb stairs. But it also has the ability to kill. We are working with an expert in robotics who will help us design our killer robot. This means we need your help. Our Kickstarter campaign ends on June 30th. <laughs> I'm sorry, over. <laughs> yeah. But I think the date was even just it just randomly picked a date, probably what was most popular or something or most common. Anyway, yeah, it, it goes on. There's there's a lot more, but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I can see how Salesforce. I mean, again, this is one of those things where they're going to put this in a, into a product where when you know in some company next time you need to like I don't know contact your who do you need, who would you need to contact maybe the company that sold you your windows for your house or something you're going to send them an email and it's going to respond with this amazingly sounding personalized response. Mm-hmm. It's going to be complete and utter crap because it's going to be generated by 
let's, you know what, John, let's name the Einstein product that's going to use this. <laughs> uh, well, it can't be as easy as Einstein something. It's got to be, it's got to be a whole new name, right? Einstein bullshit. No. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm trying okay. to take it seriously. I'm trying okay, okay. to try to take that the naming seriously. What they might call it. Uh, what would you call something like that? That's got to be snazzy, John. And it has to mask the fact of how dangerous this is. It'll just be rolled into quip. It'll just be quip. Einstein. <laughs> no. Einstein quip. I don't know. Einstein intelligent response. Maybe. AI AI response. I'm not. Uh, I don't know. Uh, these, we're obviously not very good at marketing, John. No, we're not. We're not. <laughs> it, it, it shows what this show, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, I guess. Oh, did you hear that nervous laugh I did? Are you nervous, John? Yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, so go check. Go check it out if you uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing. I'm not. Oh, there's already enough fake stuff out there. I don't need a machine now contributing to it. I'm saying if you're interested in the technology, like a, not that most people would, even most engineers would understand that code. I've looked at some of this AI code. I'm like, I have, I don't know what this is. I mean, do we really want like pop version of sales as in pop music where everything's just so formulaic? The beats are formulaic. The the singing, the auto tune, everything's all just dialed up to the to the nth degree of of uh, perfection. So well, and also think about this: this thing is using is generating text based on some corpus of text it was trained on, which mm -hmm. is essentially the internet. As this thing gets bigger and they, they're able to put more TPUs and all this crap into it, um, it's eventually going to be able to use the whole internet as it's as its training data. Oh, that's horrible. Right? And so, and then people are going to start using these things and they're going to create BS content for the internet. And then that content is going to be fed back into future trainings of this model. And so you're going to have this feedback loop of just like fake stuff that just keeps getting incorporated back in to this feedback loop. Yeah, I mean, we already see that with just people in general that are actually writing content or at least copying and pasting and promoting content. Yeah, it's just gonna, the robots are going to automate it. Yeah. Well, That's another job we're going to eliminate people who, you know, are copywriters. No, we're going to create a whole new job of fact checkers. I mean, seriously, copywriters. That, and this also, I mean, this is getting close to, I mean, this is getting closer to like, you know, um, hey, uh, Einstein, create an Apex controller for me that does blah, 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 or whatever. And no, whatever. Just gonna, whatever. Oh, I'm serious. No, <laughs> no, you don't think so? Oh, come no, on. No, 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 not going to happen. Well, think about it. Salesforce has access to everyone's Apex code, so it's got the entire training corpus there. Yeah. Have you seen some of that Apex code out I there? I have. I've been working on someone else's Apex code today. Could you imagine <laughs> that being fed into an algorithm and it decides it's going to write some code just like that because it sees so much of it? It must be good. <laughs> if there's if there's so much of this wonderful code, I should just write my code. Just, this, also just like this also dovetails, dovetails into this amazing Java engineer that switched to Salesforce and doesn't and didn't look back. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't even I don't even want to cover that story because it's going to trigger the crap out of me. Oh, we talked a little bit about it offline, so that's well, no, but fine. that's not the show. <laughs> no, but I th there are things that you and I just don't talk about because we're waiting to talk about it on the show. Yeah, so that was just one that I was able to talk with you about. Mm. All right, we could, we, were, we could have that moment. We could bond a bit. Since we, what, do you want to talk anymore. about it? No. Oh, okay.
All right. Well, because I'll say stuff that'll get me. I know, you, I know you got you've got a bunch of stuff on your list, so let's get to some of yours. So let's do the community topic, so we don't forget. The community topic, John. What is a community topic? It's a topic submitted by a member of the community. And how was how was this submitted to us? Uh, by email. By email. Would that be have been to our info at gooddaysirpodcast.com email address? I believe it was. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So for all of you uh, who don't know this, this must be your first time to listen, if that's the case. But uh, you can email us at info at gooddaysirpodcast.com with questions or topics for the show. Or if you just want to privately complain what jackasses we are or whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we welcome, uh, we, we like when people commu- get back to us and communicate with us. All right, let's get to this one. All right, so this one says, hi, this is going to be anonymous, by the way. Also, if you don't tell us we can use your name, we're not going to. That's true. Uh, so it says, hi, John and Jeremy. Uh, if, if SFDX doesn't include autocomplete for typing method calls and such, what are its advantages over, say, the developer console? And I think that's a bit of misconception because DX, at least the console command line I mean, yeah, interface. Yeah, we're talking about the CLI. I mean, I, I was thinking about this the other day. This thing, this program has been around for, a, the, the DX program has been yeah. around for a few years now. And a lot of times when people say DX or Salesforce DX, they're explicitly just referring to this one thing, this one artifact of the program, which is the command line interface, the CLI, right? Right, but now, now it's getting looped together with, or lumped together with the uh, Visual Studio Code plugin. Um, DXs. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So a lot of times when people say SFDX, and I think that's the case here as well, is that they're talking about the plugin that's available for Visual Studio Code, which are actually a, a separate product. I mean, it probably works with DX. I'm sure. Uh, with the, well, it's the official. I just, I just made. I just. I just committed the same sin. Yeah. I, what I meant to say was it probably works with the CLI. Yeah. Probably uses it. Um. But the the Visual Studio or VS Code plugin. For Salesforce is its own thing. Yes. Okay. All right. So the question is, which one are we talking about? I guess we're talking about the VS Code plugin. Well, we're talking about autocomplete. So I'm assuming the the plugin for Visual Studio Code, which I honestly don't have an opinion on because I haven't used it. Me I've installed either. it and have it in the background, thinking I might give it a try one day. But honestly, the next part of the question is, what are you? What are <laughs> what are each of y'all's <laughs> primary tools for writing Salesforce code? Well, let me ask you this. Um, now that I know more about the context of this question. Can we, can you repeat the first question? Let me read it all out. Cause I, I think I thought I was going to be able to step through it and it doesn't appear the, to be the right thing to do. Sorry. I'm uh, dense. So as if SFDX doesn't include autocomplete for typing method calls and such, what are its advantages over say the developer console? What are each and continuing? What are each of y'all's primary tools for writing Salesforce code and continues I've heard there's a package that you can add to VS Code to autocomplete, but I haven't tried it yet. So this okay. is definitely talking about the VS Code plugin. Okay, so this person has the perception that the VS Code plugin does not do any autocomplete. And I don't know if that's true or not. Let's let's assume that it is true, that it does not do any code completion. Okay. Uh, how is it better than Dev Console? Well, Dev Console, I don't want to like, I don't want to beat up on Dev Console. Actually, I've been using it more because I've been doing this thing where I've got to pop into um, some someone's org that it's not an org that I actually normally work on at all. Mm-hmm. And I just got to do like a quick uh, query or um, create a, well, I've been, I've started, I've, God, I've got to get better at this. I kind of popped back into Trailhead a few days ago to try to get some things done. What are they called? Badges. And, uh, you know, some of these, some of these, 
trails or modules? I don't even know what they are. I'm, I'm, I'm confused on the I'm confused on the like the taxonomy of trailhead th things. But I, in order to complete some of them, you have to do the you have to launch like what is it called a playground org? Yeah, and create some Apex classes. And mm -hmm. I've just been doing the using the developer console for that. Okay, so it's and they also I mean when Lightning became a thing they created some tooling and dev and dev, dev console that lets you do all the stuff that's required to do um aura lightning stuff so the yeah. what are they like the the controllers and controllers the, the helper controllers <laughs> the uh css, CSS the and, styling, then the, and then the, the, the render, lovely xml markup itself I never used um yeah a bunch of stuff oh i i can say that the the main advantage is that you would have files on your local hard drive, which you would then be able to introduce into a version control system, because that's where that's really the advantage of DX in general and where Salesforce is headed with the code, which is source control. Yes. It it using dev console to generate content is like um uh if you're like a Windows developer going to what is Windows, what is dot what are dot net Projects packaged as DLLs or EXEs, like going into like uh, the EXE file output of your .NET project and opening up with like some kind of like debugger slash like hex editing tool and making some changes, <laughs> you know, yeah. directly in the in the output binary instead of in the source code. You should view your org again if you're if you're if you've bought into this, which of course I have been saying this since long before Salesforce has, mm -hmm. that you need to be working from source code, yeah, and treat your org as a, a, the output, right? As that as bundle the, as the build product, yeah, the build product, yeah. So if you're going in and editing your build product, first of all, that's going to get next time someone does a, a real deployment, your stuff's going to get overwritten because you didn't you didn't edit the source, you added the the the, the output. Right. Um, and there was one other thing, which I forget. But obviously, you're, yeah, you're not going to get version control. I mean, I think version control is really the the main aspect of it that you really get from using a, an external tool and having those files directly on your hard drive. Yeah. But I mean, if you know, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't have any kind of good deployment process and, and you know, you already, people already just make changes in production, can do can all their config and stuff in production in, in your well, it doesn't always have to be in production. You can be in a sandbox using Dev Console and I, I promoting through chain that's sets. That's true. You could. Um, but I, I, I think I, I see the point you're making, though. I mean, if you're just, you know, you, there's not a big, a complex development solution being made. Uh, you just need a quick trigger to write here and there, or yeah. just a quick aura component that just has to launch something else. I mean, yeah, the Dev Console is fine for that. You don't need to overkill it. And even, I'm a pretty picky person when it comes to text editors. Um I, I'm the, I'm a type of developer that actually knows how to use a text editor, and I'm pretty good with you know I've got all the the muscle memory on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can fly around in in Vim, and and I'm pretty good with the IntelliJ, and I like Sublime. I can like you know a lot of the shortcuts. I mean, I can really you can do some super powerful things with a with a really powerful text editor. Um, even if you are on the other side of the spectrum and you care less, you care very little about the capabilities of your text editor, you're still probably going to get frustrated with the dev console's text editor. It's oh, yeah. incredibly frustrating. It is. Yeah, it's, it's not the best experience. Yeah. No, I just, again, real, real, I've been, I've been using it more, but it's, it's for, it's for really limited itty bitty things that's it's not, it's, it's a throwaway. Like this, these things I've been having to do to complete trailhead modules, units. Yeah. Um, I'm, 
I, I basically create a new playground every time I get to a new module anyway, for the most part, so I can have a clean org. So yeah, it's not going anywhere. I'm not, it's not in version control. It's only a few lines of Apex, so or whatever I'm doing. So I don't, I don't really care that the text editing is not great. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty limited. But I mean, I still even even on orgs I'm working in, like uh, like client orgs and projects I'm working on, I'll I'll still pop up with the Dev Console. Not not so much for editing anything or creating stuff, but to do um, to look at logs or uh, run queries. Yeah. Sometimes I also really like that if you're on a Mac that Sockwell Explorer X Explorer. Sockwell Explorer. <laughs> you Sockle. use that? Yeah, I use it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, one th- nice thing about it is it can, um, you can have multiple windows up each into a different org or whatever. Well, that's another advantage if we're talking about advantages of having an external tool and not using the dev, dev consoles. I think the dev console does give you tabs, but it's not, I think I've used it very well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the local, with the, having the files on your local file system, you could have them. Um, you can have multiple windows of it and some tools. I think Visual Studio Code does let you do a split window within the same tab. So uh, a lot of times I use it when I'm writing unit tests. I'll have my object on one one side of the screen and my class on the other side of the screen, and I'm just reading through it. Or if I have my really big screen, then I'll have those two panes plus the actual um, Salesforce window. So I'm coding, testing, and functional testing. Yep. Um, I, but in terms of like the whole autocomplete stuff, I I think it can be some of it a crutch in general. I mean, I, I use it, I, I like it, I enjoy it, just because it's a productivity thing. It saves me from having to type a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it's I think it's more of a crutch than anything. You really? Yeah. So you, you think you'd you'd rather you you'd rather it not be a thing? No, I'm glad it's a thing. I'm just saying you I've, I've more, used. You said it's more of a crutch than anything. It is for me. I mean, I'm just talking about my opinion here. Okay. It's more of a crutch for me. I mean, I've used text editors where I didn't have autocomplete for a lot of things, HTML, Java, CSS, all of that stuff. I don't have autocomplete for that. I just type and I type what I know or I'm referencing documents, you know, documentation all the time. Even if autocomplete shows me a method, I still need to understand what that method is. So I'm still having to reference the documentation, figure out, okay, well, what what do these arguments mean and what do they actually do? Even on stuff I've used a hundred times, I'm still going and checking. Yeah. And a crutch is usually a negative thing, meaning it's something that you're using because you're lazy or it's something super short term, but in the long term, it's not it's not good. It's holding you back or whatever. And I mm. don't feel like autocomplete is that way. A lot of times, I, like I know almost the exact method I'm looking for. I can't remember if it was like plural or not or whatever. You know, like so, I, or you know what it is. It's just it's maybe a really long method name or whatever, and, and you just like you don't want to type the whole thing. You know, yeah. just like I know what it is. I just want to. Um, so in terms of tools that we use just to keep things moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jeremy and I both we use Illuminate Cloud and IntelliJ, yeah. which has its own quite quite a few advantages, which we've talked about a number of times on the show. But I think it's just a matter of just finding a tool that you like that helps you be productive, and you know, just go with it. And there's there's no right or wrong, I don't think. Yeah, and of course, I mean, yeah, yeah we, we, you and I both have used IC for a while, and and you know, overall, I really like it. I mean, it's it's definitely if if I think IC is particularly suited for people who already use like either IntelliJ or WebStorm or one of these things and they're used to that environment um, because IC plugs right into like if you're used to doing Java development IC plugs right in it's like a lot of the same tools that's just implemented for Salesforce instead of the Java plugin or whatever and, and a lot of the keyboard shortcuts are the same um, and it's and it's got more of that IDE experience like you expect more from an IDE than you do a text editor yeah and, and it's got a lot of those things yeah. and it's it you know, and it continues. I mean, um, it's it's a, it's a full time. It's you know, the the developer of that product works on it. Scott Wells works on it full time. That's his full time job now. So, I mean, it's got 
it's adding really adding features on a pretty quick that a pretty quick clip and also you know the support as always is world class um i would say yeah i wonder how much of it is a timing thing because i'm a .NET guy and so i'm used to using visual studio and i think if visual studio code and the plugin came out sooner i might be more experienced with that one than i am with ic but at the time I lost my IDE. Yep. I was using Maven's Mate, yeah. and I lost it, and so I had to find something. And you introduced me <laughs> to you introduced me to IC, and I had to I had to force myself to learn the IntelliJ IDE. Yeah, all the hotkeys, all the quirks of it. You know, trying to make it look like the, what I wanted to look and feel how I wanted it to feel. And it was it was a challenge, but I'm very productive right now. Yeah. I can't imagine being without it. Yep. Yeah, it's got it's got some nice stuff. Um, and of course, you know, Salesforce develops the uh, VS Code plugin. And, you know, they're clearly putting a lot of resources behind that. They, I mean, I, I think they want to make sure that there is a, is that there's a fairly high quality developer tool out there. Um, they did the Eclipse plugin before, and that mm-hmm. thing just, it never really improved that much over time. I mean, it kind of came out of the gate doing what it did, and it got, it got a few thing, extra things, but um, it just, I think overall was not a great experience, and I don't like Eclipse anyway. I think I think a lot of my dislike for that plugin had a lot to do with my dislike for Eclipse more than anything. Yeah, I was going to say I, I think the issue was more with Eclipse than than say their their plugin itself. But I mean, I, I would love to hear from like have a conversation with Scott and talk about how his experience is developing on Illuminate Cloud. Sorry, Illuminate Cloud for IntelliJ mm-hmm. on that platform because. I think one of the issues with Eclipse is that it just wasn't stable. It never stabilized. Every release had such such huge breaking changes that you could you had to go back to earlier versions to use the plugin. You couldn't just forward move. And so the Eclipse plugin was always on older versions. If you happen to install the wrong version, or it got a you little bit Eclipse download page, you're like, what the hell do I even yeah, install? Even even trying to find it, install it. <laughs> yeah. And Salesforce tried to solve that with kind of a branded kind of OEM version of it, yeah. but. That even kind of got stale and didn't didn't really scale well. Well, I, I feel like even even the plugin was stale. I mean, clearly they're putting like a thousand times more resources into the VS Code plugin than they ever did into the Eclipse plugin. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's a quite viable tool, and it sounds like they're staying on top of things. It's very actively developed. So uh, yeah, it's it's. I think it's it's hard to compare that Eclipse plugin to what Salesforce is doing now. They, I feel like they're much more serious about. Having a well-maintained, regularly, actively developed, you know, sell a uh, developer tool, you know, that's got a good experience. Yeah, which is good. I mean, they need that. I mean, yep. it would be, it would be a liability if they didn't. And or they'd have to buy something. I mean, I'm a huge you know IC fanboy, but I mean, truthfully, I'm, I'm sure the I would think that the getting started uh, just like zero the zero to whatever sixty. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right thing, but for VS Code, it's probably easier than uh, than IntelliJ. With Illuminated Cloud, I would think so. Yeah. Just, just because I mean, text edit—it's just a text editor, so it's yeah. much more lightweight. It's going to be a quicker download, quicker to get started. I mean, even just creating a new project in IntelliJ—you like you've got to learn, you got to know like what's a project, what's a module, what's the relationship, and you know, like there's just so many things that you've got to know about an IDE. And if you're not already an IntelliJ or WebStorm or whatever, all these, yeah. all these other um, products that that JetBrains has that's built on that platform, then you might, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have more of a learning curve. Maybe, I don't know. And I think it's, I think people should check it out though, because it's, um, to me, it seems worth it. And again, I'm not that familiar with the VS Code plugin, but I mean, the things that I see does, I just don't see how a text editor could do. This is far more than a text editor. 
Yeah, refactoring alone is just so huge. Yeah. I mean, even though it, it, it is a it is a you know create delete type refactoring, but at least it's something it's automated. I'm not having to manage that myself. It finds all the dependencies, or at least the ones that it can, um, which does a pretty good job at it. So yeah, I mean that alone saves me quite a bit of time. Yeah. So anyways, we'll wrap this topic up. I do want to finish with with how this person ended their their uh, email to us, and it was it says thanks. I'm injecting anonymous in San Francisco. <laughs> this is anonymous in San Francisco. Dot, dot, dot. And yes, I see human crap on the sidewalk semi-regularly. Yeah. So those of you heading to Dreamforce, uh, don't wear new pair of shoes that you like. Get some shitty shoes to walk around in because <laughs> they're going to get shitty. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to bleep all that, aren't yeah. you? Um, I don't know. What do, what do we... What's our philosophy on bleeping nowadays? I don't know. If you can say it on cable TV, you, you can say it here. Right? That's true. I don't, it's, I don't, I'm, I'm okay with that policy, I guess. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, thank you for that topic. I uh, really appreciate it. And let's uh, get on to some other things. Well, one thing I want to talk to you, because we, we haven't talked in a couple weeks, is this, um, just to, to switch gears, something non-Salesforce for a minute, is this um, U1 chip that's shipping in these new Apple phones? And this whole, I was not aware of this ultra wideband technology. I'm not either. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is the thing where I guess during the Apple, what's the, that the event they had where they announced the new iPhones, yeah. the iPhone event on the big screen, which like listed all the new components of the iPhone. Like there was the U1, just like this little part of it that was on the screen, but they never talked about it. And so, it, and so I, I, to paint the picture, Apple, their phones themselves have a lot of different chips that do different things so this is a very specific chip for a very specific function not necessarily the whole cpu no no it's just yeah it's a very specific okay it's almost like what i don't know what are some of their other chips well like have? their fingerprint reader chip there's their um or the, the the w2 chip or yeah, whatever that's in the, the for the airpods yeah. or and are they actually chips or just i don't know some firmware i don't know whatever but anyway they it was a little block diagram it was a little square with a u1 on it and they're you know apparently that's some some chip and it's so, of course, the, everyone went nuts to figure out what the hell this was since they didn't say anything about it. And people mm -hmm. were wondering, did they even mean for that to end up in that slide? But, yeah, it's apparently it's ultra-wideband technology. And it's for, it's like, it's like spatial awareness. It uses some kind of, it's like, it's basically some kind of, like, frequency receiver. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it uses that, I guess, that capability to know how close it is in proximity to like other U1 and or other just I guess ultra wideband enabled devices. Oh, is that how they're going to do the kind of that new kind of enhanced AirPod Air Air or something? Air. AirDrop. Actually, it is. Um, yeah. That's the only concrete example I know of where they're using it. So it's going to it's going to use the U1 capability to know like when you go open your AirDrop and you're going to send something to someone. Um, it will use U1 to f to find how f close things are, and it's going to put the closer things towards the top of the list. Mm. But there's all kinds of potential applications for this. I mean, um, oh, by the way, the accuracy wise, they're saying right now it's it's it it's it's down to like four inches accuracy, mm -hmm. but they're saying it can go to um, like five millimeters of accuracy. That's how it's really sensitive technology. Mm. But the, it. It measures the distance between things by, I guess I don't know if it sends a signal. I think I guess it must send a signal out. It's just like it's like so. It's basically sonar, and then it measures what it gets back and how far, how long it takes to get back because it knows how what it knows the speed that these waves travel at, 
And so it just measures the latency or the the yeah, the round trip time, I guess. Pretty cool as long as it doesn't have any <laughs> personal information about people. That's true. Well, and that's why I'm glad I have an Apple phone because I feel like Apple has a pretty good track record and they their business model is built around protecting your data, not selling it and or selling it back to you. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. So they're saying you know, this would be using like smart home technology, augmented reality, mobile payments, like um, keyless car entry. Mm-hmm. Um, and also things like, you know, the I guess the whole Apple Watch to unlock your computer, which I still have not set up. Oh, I do it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I just I still haven't set it's it. Really up convenient. Online. Yeah. Um, that would but, be nice to be able yeah, to unlock my car with my things, watch. Things like that. And I also wondered, is this different than the what was the thing they announced where? The whole the whole Find My things, or I guess it's the I don't know if it, I don't know if it was the Find My apps or if it was something else, but basically Apple's going to turn all the iPhones into this huge mesh network, and it will kind of have a not I guess anonymized whatever, but locations of like everything. So, for example, let's say you let's say you leave your air your AirPods little case falls out of your you're in a restaurant it falls out of your pocket and get stuck between some cushions or whatever. You don't even realize it. And then the next day or later at night or whatever, you you're you do the find my to find out where your AirPods are. AirPods are and um, it will know where they are because everyone else with an iPhone in that restaurant, it's those iPhones are sensing all the other things and it's using some kind of anonymous ID. So the information sent back is useless. To it. So if it's some hacker were to get the data, it's like it's meaningless. Right. But... But Apple, but it's all it's all sending that back to the mothership, and so when you say, "Hey, where's where are my iPods or AirPods right now?" Apple knows where they are, because every Apple device is going to be a in this mesh. Oh, that's kind of scary. It is kind of scary, isn't it? Because that means Apple knows where you are. Yeah, but again, Apple is so far has had a really good track record on anonymizing all that type of stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean it's. <sighs> No, I agree. I mean, obviously, also, I'm not obviously with this kind of, but I'm not having an affair or whatever. So, not that that's <laughs> not that that is a reason to not care about your privacy. But no, I'm just waiting for the for the government subpoena to Apple. I mean, to, I have, a, I have to an find Alexa, out where I have everyone an Alexa is in my house. You know, and I use Google and I use Chrome and I stayed lo- I stay logged into Chrome and, and Google. So, I mean, I don't know. Oh, not, we, we we just learned thanks to Apple asking us over and over. Hey, this app's been using your Bluetooth to. To geolocate you or whatever it's yes. doing. Yeah. Um so I'm so. glad Apple finally called those out and made it a separate a separate setting. Yeah. So you can give you can tell an app, hey, you can use audio Bluetooth, but it's still gonna be a separate permission to use the other forms of Bluetooth mm-hmm. that allow that basically allow them to track you is what yeah. it is, is location tracking via Bluetooth. But yeah, which is kind of scary because I mean I could it shows you a map of everything where it was using that feature. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, that's yeah, pretty much everywhere I was at. I know. Crazy, you have no privacy. No, 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 no. I mean, everything that these companies, that the ones that care about your privacy, can do to keep closing the gap on all these people mm-hmm. that want to steal your data. I mean, it's it's good that they're doing all these things, but is it ever going to be perfect? Is is your is your data, including your location, and everything else, is it ever going to be as private as what it should be? No, it's never going to be. Probably just going to get worse. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Well, Salesforce has some new verticals. They did, uh, what was it, manufacturing and consumer goods. Any interest in those? Not really. <laughs> well, manufacturing, I should, huh? I mean, it might be interesting. I, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't 
I don't know much about it. I don't know where they are on, with those. I mean, they're new, so you know. You I gotta, just yeah, you got to be careful with any in new Salesforce products, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I have a love-hate relationship with their current schema of the packages that, that exist. Um, although, I mean, it's the same as any other ISV. I mean, we're all deal- creating packages to enhance the system. It just, I don't know. You know what, and that's interesting. I mean, a lot of this vertical stuff that Salesforce is doing, this could be what's one of the drivers behind some of the packaging improvements that are happening. Yeah, that's kind of why I have the love-hate relationship, because the fact that they're having to to kind of eat their own dog food. Is that the right saying? Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, they're feeling the same pain we are and they're able to, because they're closer to the mothership, they're able to kind of express those and say that we really need this. This is why this is painful. Whereas us, we're just, you know, screaming in the ether or something. Yeah. Asking for namespaces. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which you're not getting, by the way. Nope. It's going to get, <clears throat> it's actually getting worse. Is it getting worse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, it, it's been. I mean, when did when did Apex come out? Like late two thousands. So it's at least a ten year old thing. Yeah, we don't have namespaces now. They're I don't know. They're obviously not important to Salesforce. I, I just think they're expensive for Salesforce to try to implement. Because they, they I guess it's just they. It's too much. just hard coded and baked around lack of namespaces. Yeah. I mean, I I don't even think we should be calling what we have as a namespace a namespace. I just it doesn't. Yeah, and that's the problem. That the word namespace is very overloaded. Yeah. I mean, in the Salesforce world, that means the the package prefix you pick, right? And that's right. not what I'm talking about when I talk about namespaces. But Java calls their namespaces packages, don't they? Yes, which is even more <laughs> confusing. I mean, by themselves, they all make sense. It's just the fact that. You know, these are in, in a context-free situation. These words have so much meaning. You know, you have to know what the, what context you're using them in. But I'm yeah. talking about in, in the code itself, some type of name to 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 group things that classes in, and then and then visibility some visibility ar- around that namespace. What's in what you know in terms of what's in it, and be able to have things in that namespace be you know visible only to within that namespace or maybe externally or whatever. Yeah. Different behaviors, uh, unique naming. Well, you don't have to have unique naming. You can have same name class in another namespace mm-hmm. and be fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you have a, a, a pretty well-defined namespace, you could totally have a class in it called iterator, which would be great. Yeah. You know, and then in some other well-defined namespace, you could have an iterator class in, class in it too. And they could be package private or namespace private to each of those. And outside world doesn't have to see them or know about them. And they just do their little job. And they're an iterator. You don't have to call it, you know, my shopping cart item configurator <clears throat> iterator. You know, some super yeah. long name. Oh, I didn't prefix my... I mean, you got to actually put a package prefix on the beginning of that or a, just so you can... I mean, you know, just so you can find the damn class when you have, you know, a thousand <laughs> classes in your org. Yeah. Just and you only have 40 it. characters. Yeah. And you have to leave room for the underscore T as well. So don't forget that. Yeah. That's why I was... Do you, what, do you subscribe to the underscore T? Yeah. That's okay. I, I thought you. I thought you were doing something else. I'm always on underscore T. Okay. Yeah. Uh, back on the IC thing, I actually had this on my list, but I forgot to I forgot to ask this while we were talking about it. Um, 
I guess I've been doing a lot of new project creations. I've been creating a lot of get ignore files mm-hmm. and there's some, someone's got a GitHub repo out there with a good, actually I think IntelliJ has one that they produce themselves, but if, if it's an IntelliJ project, just in general, like, Hey, start with this get ignore file. It's just got about all the crap. That, oh yeah. I have that linked. I have that okay. hot link to my browser. Okay. okay. Um, on top of that though, there's what, what in, okay. So of the stuff that eliminated cloud generates, what if any of it should be, Put into your source control, i.e., you know, not in your get ignore. Like, yeah. do, you, do you put the entire eliminated cloud? Because you know, eliminated cloud creates a, a folder called eliminated yep, cloud. Called eliminated cloud, and which is which is proper case, which annoys me because everything else is lowercase. I know, and it also doesn't. It doesn't start with a dot, which it maybe right. should. Yeah, it should, shouldn't it? I, I don't know. I don't know. Let me ask Scott about that. But should you just ignore that entire? Is there any reason to not ignore that entire folder? Because there's a lot of churn in that folder. I ignore it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think for a while I was trying to, I was trying to selectively not ignore some things in there because I thought they might be useful. But there's just so much churn in general that I ignore the entire thing. So I'm, I'm curious if. Well, so, so the Luminate Cloud does have a in their FAQ a section on what you should ignore and what you shouldn't ignore. At least gives you more context on what those files are, so you can make the decision. A lot of what they what is said to include is is if you have a team and everyone's using Luminate Cloud and you want everyone to have the same configuration for the project. Like here's here's the schema for whenever you do your alt command L to format code, it here's everything looks the same. Or here's the the code inspection rules that it that it that you can do, you know, so that when you save and compile or potentially commit and have it do that check, it'll warn you and everything. So that's the reason for including a lot of that stuff. But then there's other stuff that you really don't want to conclude include because it's specific to your instance, like your workspace. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I, I I ignore that in whole folder, but I'm curious if there's any value in. I I do ignore it, and I thought it was on the ignore list, but I don't see it on here. Um, but yeah, I ignore that folder. I'll put the, that little link in the show notes for you guys. So do you want to talk about packages then, since we're on the subject? Yeah, let's do that. Um, all right. So so I recently kind of attended their. Salesforce's second generation packaging webinar. So a lot of the information I got was from that. It's a pretty interesting solution. Uh, it doesn't go as far as I was hoping in terms of, you know, features and capabilities. It doesn't really expand on anything other than really solidifying the source control for your package being being the uh, what the root. Can can you like level? set with us do like a, okay what is second generation packaging or what are the package types within this umbrella or is you know what is second generation packaging is it a type of package or is it like an umbrella for types of packages like because a lot i think a lot of people don't even and i'm not, totally not clear on this at all and a lot of people are not going to are not up to speed so yeah i'm not sure so sure i would approach it as a in terms of it, it's a different type of package. I mean, there are new types of packages. You have your manage, you have your, uh, un, what do they call it? You have unlocked. Unlocked, all those kind of mm-hmm. things. I mean, those are types of packages, but really when we're talking about second generation packaging, to the best of my understanding, is that it's really moving away from the fact that you have a packaging org with a namespace defined, and that's where all your metadata goes, and you push from there. You create, you click upload, and that's how you create your package and release it. Moving more towards the source control being being the root for all that. Meaning whatever's in your source control, that's your package. And now you have new command lines that'll let you create and upload the package without having to create buttons. 
Um, so you don't need a an official dev org for your package. You don't need an official patch org for your for your package. You just use the command line tools to take your source and create those packages. Um, from a high level, uh, another big difference that's happening is that you only need one namespace, <laughs> which is why I'm kind of saying it's getting worse. But essentially, for second generation packaging, you would have one namespace. And if you had multiple modules... Like for your company or something? Right. Or, okay. And so if you had different features or different modules, they could all share that same namespace. So maybe you have an application with a core set of features, and then it has some other features that you want to enable differently using feature enablement. Okay. Those could all exist in the same namespace, which means they can all share uh, common core libraries and code without having to to do too much about it. Does let's say you have you know in, in this application you've got you've got like let's say there's like three sub modules. I don't even know what co- to call them. Three mm-hmm. are they packages? What are they called? They, they would be packages. Okay, so you, so you would, got three packages within this application, right? All with the same namespace. And let's say that one of them is like a common. It's a it's like your common code it's core right mm-hmm. and so it doesn't depend on anything else it's just all core stuff right and then one of your other packages depends on that core package right okay does it does it state its dependency no so so the whole kind of dependency management still isn't there yet it's a future release type functionality you're still dealing with these packages individually you still haven't installed so, these packages. So you could forget to install one. The system's not going to say, oh, well, we happen to know that your package B depends on package A. So, you know. Well, it, you, ha- you have that today, I think. Uh, I mean, well, you, no, it won't install. Yeah, if you have a dependency that it doesn't recognize. So if you create a dependency, it won't let you install it. But the the if you do create some kind of core library for, for like maybe it's a base core package, that would still have to be installed. And then you could install your other stuff. But because they share the same namespace and you get these new annotations, you can you can essentially expose code from that base package to your other modules in a private way. So they're sharing code, but you're not having to make global methods to talk between your packages. Yeah. Okay. Which is which is which is nice, but yeah. it's still it's it's a, you're still single namespacing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a little bit less isolated. So how do you reference things in the from one package to another package just by its plain name you don't have to like prefix it with anything or there, yeah there's an annotation that you can you can put onto things like can i have i'm trying to find it can right. i have a class called dog in package a and a class called dog in package b i have a question on that because i don't i'm not sure i don't think you can because i think they're all in the same namespace and thus they're sharing the same global uniqueness of that yeah so if you i don't think that's gonna be possible hmm. which is why i'm saying i think it gets worse uh, that was the question that I had later after thinking about it when I wasn't on the webinar and to be able to ask. Um, it's uh, namespace accessible. That's the annotation. So it's at namespace accessible is the annotation you would put on your classes to make them available to other classes in your same package. Yeah, can we not just call it public or something? Well, you already have public. But it can mean something. But that's kind of what it means. I mean, public means something. I mean, first of all, Salesforce already uses the word public. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, but it but so this in, is this is public public. No, no, but in a different This is like 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 I like like you. <laughs> well, public has always meant that within your company's private org, other things can other things can see this. Yes. Right. Can you but, have- but now we're creating but essentially the these packages in these namespaces are still separate. I mean, even though they're they exist in your source code right next to each other, their classes are right there, and you could technically drag and drop the folders. Once you package it up, they become isolated libraries. Right, okay. 
And so what the namespace accessible is doing is it's creating an annotation that says this is an API interface between these two and within this namespace, and they can talk. But anything in that anything in that namespace, anything in your company's namespace can see it if it's namespace accessible? Yes. Okay. What What it doesn't do is it doesn't make that available to your client org. So your client won't be able to access that that class or method. Now, if you wanted them to, then you would use the global, and, or not annotation, but um, feature, attribute. Uh, attribute. It it's an attribute? An apex? No, I think it's an annotation. Maybe. Yeah. So public, private, whatever, global. Yep. So we'd use that to still expose it, um, which is nice because if you are creating this kind, if you do have multiple packages and you have been having to use global, obviously that restricts you from a lot of things because you can't modify that. You can't change it because it's global and it's technically a contract with your client mm -hmm. or your customer. So this will give us better ways to kind of help manage that and hopefully give us better ways to refactor that stuff that doesn't need to be global. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not hearing much than, different than what I think I heard two years ago, but... I was I didn't really dive into it two years ago, so I'm not sure what is technically different. But um, source control is king. Um, your your dev hub org is king, so that's where your namespace technically exists mm -hmm. and where it's registered and everything else funnels through. But in terms of your package and your metadata, you're no longer having to create a dev org. You can create scratch orgs and do whatever, and then you could just initiate the package command and ha and have it upload. Yeah, uh, which is kind of nice, and it it'll lend more to the type of automation that that. We, we expected. I guess it's tied to your whatever your dev hub is, right? The, right, okay. yeah. So your dev hub becomes king yep. for that. Interesting. Yeah, I still, I still feel like, I mean, we need a, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to do packages in a, in a good way, we're definitely going to need, packages need to be able to, to declare their requirements, their dependencies so that, you know, when you, go to install or I don't, and I don't even quite understand how you'd even use these packages. Is this, a, is this a runtime or develop time? I don't know. But anyway, regardless, like when at whatever point in the process you're saying, okay, I'm going to use this package that you can just say install, or I'm going to add this to this org or whatever it is. And the system knows, okay, well, this package depends on these two other packages and those two packages depend on these, you know, each one of them depends on its own thing. And it just goes, this, does this transitive thing to like get your packages you need because wrangling that all yourself is first of all super unproductive but also very error prone and will be very frustrating and if yeah. they want people to productively use packages and if this is going to be like a good tool for us that needs to be solved yeah but the way you're describing it almost sounds like I could write a library or a package and you want to create a dependency on it and mm -hmm. thus when I, when you install your app it goes and grabs my app yes. and my yeah, dependencies yeah. Mm -hmm. which I think there's pros and cons to that I think for trusted sources it's fine, but I mean, like, and we should these things. People should be able to put create things, things, and put them up on GitHub, or, or they should be able to be installed in like a global repository, so that if you make some awesome thing that, like, I don't know, exposes like some kind of crazy transcendental functions or something, mm -hmm. like, and I need to depend on that, like, I should just be able to say, hey, I depend on this thing that this this particular package, and and I then I can use that, and then whenever my package is used, it does, I don't have to, people don't have to worry about, they don't have to know also, or they don't have to like make sure they also install your package. Like by installing my package, it's just going to take care of that stuff. I mean, there's, it's just metadata about the package. There's no reason they can't do this except that, you know, I'm, I know things are hard and I'm oversimplifying, but yeah. I mean, that's again, a, but reality is reality. I mean, if, if this is going to be useful, I mean, we're going to need things like that. I mean, there's, there's the way that the way that the Salesforce community right now 
copies and pastes code from GitHub and stuff into their orgs is totally backwards. It's super unhealthy. I mean, people end up with unpatched code. They don't have the latest version. They don't know what version they have. It's just a total mess. I mean, maintaining that's a mess. People basically just don't. They just don't. Yeah. I mean, the same argument could be made that, you know, even with package managers and everything, things get crazy and they get complex and you have you have issues with dependencies. You have issues with, with libraries dying and what do you do with that and all that kind of stuff. It's... It, yeah, but at least it, you know about it. You, I mean, you, you yeah, know about it, those it, things. It, it increases the complexity of no, the stuff. We're, what we're doing hides the complexity. It's saying you don't even you, you. We're hiding that we're not not even hiding it. We're like we're pretending that complexity doesn't exist, and we're not. So we're not solving it. It just pretends it doesn't exist. You know what happens when you I, when I use John's transcendental functions, but we don't have the type of package menu, so I just copy your code from GitHub into my org, and then later you fix some critical bug in it. Well, I don't. I don't have any way to know. I don't have any tooling that's that even knows I depend on you. Yeah. And so I don't. I don't get those. And and I also don't. You know, when when I'm using your package or your code, but I'm using something else that also uses your code. Well, which which version does that thing depend on? Because I know which version I'm dependent on. Except we don't have any versions. So I'm I'm already talking ahead of myself here. Yeah. Because we don't have versions of things. And it's just it's it's just a big, a big sloppy gross mess. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I and, and I agree with you. Disagree. I mean, these, you know, the, you know, you can t- take a look at the, all any of these other packaging systems, and they've they've all got their advantages and disadvantages. But I mean, when you, you know, r- you run a typical Java project or a JavaScript project, I mean, look when you th- see the things that Maven or NPM or all these different things are doing for you, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing, and it's it's. It, if for any people who remembered JavaScript development before NPM or remember Java development before Maven, it's you wouldn't for a second think about giving that up. It's enabled a whole other level of productivity, of 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 uh, application design and architecture, and mm-hmm. of distribution and sharing. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have the these tools, you don't get any of that stuff. All right. And I'll also say security. I mean, na- especially nowadays in the internet world, you, security is like number one all the time. And not having a solution to this where you can always be getting, sec- you know, patches and they're all, you know, they, you can you can have a tool that, you know, because all these things have something where you can say, hey, check to see if I have any, outdate, any outdated dependencies. And if so, I want to see what they are. You can just issue a command that brings them in automatically. Yeah. You know, we don't have any of that. So. Yeah, I, I, I do see that. It would be nice for for Salesforce to be a little more proactive about you know what versions of packages are installed and and you know encourage them to be yeah. to be up to date. Right. Um, I mean, I've seen packages that are really old, and I've had to update packages that are really old to the point where I had to install older versions before I can get to the newer versions, mm. which is odd. Yeah. Um, so they talked about some things that are on the roadmap, and I can I can keep answering a lot of different questions, as, at least to the best of my ability. But a lot of the stuff they talked about was kind of future state stuff, things that they would like to get to. So obviously we have, I mean, what we have today is pretty much the ability to kind of use source control to create our packages. We've got new CLI commands that will let us do do a lot of pushing and pulling of packages and creating of packages and creating of patch orgs and or patches not not really creating orgs but creating patches that you can upload you, you can make it uh, let me just pause for, pause you for a second you keep making it sound like this all this patch stuff is enabling you to use source control it, that's actually not you could have used source control without any of this and you can use all these things without using source control at all they're actually completely orthogonal things 
I, I think I'm using the wrong word. I think CI is what I'm really trying to say. Oh, okay. Um, it's continuous integration. It's basically now that everything now everything's at the source, I'm not having to push to a to an official dev org and all the metadata and then have to create a manual package yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Now there's command line interfaces for that, which means I can have a, a true true end-to-end CI that's going to push and pull that. And I th- there's also some some features in terms of um, pushing updates and things like that that I think are going to be available if they're not in this next release. Yeah. I mean, they de- they're definitely doing things, I will say, in, in, at Salesforce oh, just overall, yeah. that they're thinking about when they, when they're, they're getting better at when they come out with some kind of new feature or new some, whatever it is, they're thinking more about how do we make this easy to pl- play nice with the version control systems. Yes. So they're getting better at some of that. Yeah. I mean, I really see this kind of, this version, this first version iteration, really just trying to tackle that, tackle that CI story is to build a create a better path for that. Uh, in terms of future, what's on the roadmap, um, push upgrades, that's something that they don't think is going to happen until next year. The big thing, which is the migration of first-generation packaging to second-generation packaging. So I don't know when that's going to come. They don't know when it's going to come. It could be two years. It could be three years. It's a tough problem to solve because you it's just, it's just a tough sort of problem for them to solve. How do you get someone from – because you do have to have a new namespace. So that that much they told us. Mm. If you're going to do second generation packaging, if you have a first generation package and you're going to start transitioning to second generation, you have to have a new namespace. They say that's going to be the only namespace you're ever going to need once you go to second generation, but you are going to have to have a new namespace. So, I don't know. My company too. <laughs> exactly, because you know, because when you created your first namespace, like you created like what was the perfect end all be all namespace for your organization, yeah. right? Yeah, it's now a brand. It became a saying, brand, didn't it? You can't use that anymore. You've got to create another one. It's like, but wait a minute, we already picked our perfect namespace. Yeah. <laughs> so the tra- the migration is going to be a pretty tough and pretty tricky, I think, um, to solve for. So that's definitely so it's not, not like that story hasn't changed in the past two years. No. Yeah. No. Um. And, and I'm toying with the idea of maybe going ahead, and they they've recommended this as well to, you know, when do I start doing second generation packaging? And the story is if you're new, if you're building a new product, you're just getting into packaging. Obviously, start with two GP. Um, if you have an existing product, you might split your source control and have a second generation packaging that you're evaluating and and doing that, and then. Hopefully, any new clients will be on that, and all your old clients will be on one until there's a migration path. Mm. So you'll you'll end up managing both. The now, problem is you'll be managing both with the same exact source code, which means you can't take advantage of. I mean, you could, but you'll be writing code in two different places of breaking out your packaging into multiple modules. So you said if you're creating a new product, does that mean that is this really catered towards ISVs, or is this? Because my understanding was a lot of this two GP stuff was very applicable to just typical, you know, like corporate. You know, you're not shipping and selling packages to people. This is all for your own internal development, but you want to use packages to make your architecture better. Yeah, and that's fair. I think I'm just looking at it from my perspective, being an ISV of the of how it benefits me. But yeah, I mean, this is just packaging in general. You, you'll be able to use these, but you'll have the same problems. If you have a namespace and you want to do second generation packaging, you'll have to create a new pack, new namespace and deal with that. Yeah. Um, it might be even be easier for you if you're not an ISV because you could potentially handle the migration from that old package to the new package. You know, you do it once for your you company. do it once for your yeah. company, yeah. yeah. Versus an ISV who hopefully has thousands of customers that they have to deal with. Yep. Otherwise, it's not a winning business model. Um, <laughs> uh, they're hoping for 100% metadata parity. I don't know what that means. It was the term they threw out. I don't know what that means. Metadata parity. <laughs> metadata parity. 
I don't know what that means, but they said sometime in the next two years, they'll have 100% metadata parity. Mm, okay. Um, something about removal of any metadata f from two GPs. I'm not sure what that means. I made a horrible note on that, um, so I won't cover that. But the next thing is, which I'm pretty excited about, but it's not going to happen anytime soon, and that is leading up to some of your, the questions you were asking, is package bundles. So it's the I, I think of it more like a suite, so like an office suite, where <laughs> uh, you have you know your Word, you have your Excel, and you have those products. So it's a suite of it's a bundle of applications, not of like right. components or right. But you can treat them as one because they came as a bundle. So if at least the way they described it, and again, this is all future state. You get a discount roadmap. if you buy a bundle. If you want to do it that way, <laughs> you know, buy all our products and get it get it twenty percent off. Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially, the package bundle will let you install multiple packages all at once and treat them as one. They still exist as separate packages, and you, ha you have to deal with that. But at least to the client, they're installing one thing. And when you're pushing updates, you're pushing one update to that bundle. And so you're able to distribute multiple changes that way. Hmm. Okay. Because um, so I don't know. I mean, that seems good. Yeah. I'm going to have to find there. Do they have like um, – I'm sure this is documented somewhere. Like, is this on the – Salesforce developer side. Second so they're, they're, they are. Yeah, they're directing everyone to the partner community. Um, partner, huh? Yeah, so there's a community on the partner. You have to be a partner in order to... to yeah. That's... Hmm, that's weird. That seems like a much narrower scope than I would. Maybe thought. I mean maybe on the maybe on the customer success community they have some stuff, but really well, that were, webinar you were on was a partner. That call, was a partner right? webinar, and so they were directing everyone to the yeah. to the partner community. Um, okay. What's their site? Sales, Developer.salesforce.com. Yeah. Let's see. Resources. I swear they have a whole thing on packages. God, they really changed this website. Probably should look at this a little bit more often. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it was it was a bit of a fire hose. They covered they covered a lot. They talked about a lot. Um, a lot of it seemed redundant. It seemed like they were answering the same questions and going over a lot of the same things. They they I think they wasted too much time talking about some of the CLI commands. Um, and maybe that's because there wasn't too much to talk about other than the, C the CLI commands. Because again, I think the main focus with this release is, is a better story around CI. So um, that's kind of what I learned from that and what stuck with me. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a whole second generation packaging like chapter or whatever in the Salesforce DX developer guide. <laughs> Which is what is what is the Salesforce DX developer guide? I don't know. That's interesting, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> I'm starting to get overloaded with developer guides. I have my my link bar is my bookmark bar is getting yeah. pretty pretty filled up. Actually, so I think this is really how to use mainly the CLI. Yeah, and and the things it uses, so scratch orgs and sandboxes or whatever. Hey, are you using uh, the CLI for sandboxes yet? CLI for sandboxes? No. Yeah, just start. I don't even it. use sandboxes anymore. I'm wondering because I actually scratch orgs before. Don't know. Well, so depending on it depends on what you're doing. I'm writing code. I mean, people. The problem is people I work with they don't like having their org completely disappear. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> well, depends if you didn't have time to capture their changes out of it before it blew up. Because I have to give people an org so they can get in and do their changes. And the CLI is kind of great for that because I can go and do their changes, and then I can do a, what's it the uh, force source pull or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's dangerous because they they can change a bunch of other stuff, and it's not 
and I want to know everything that changed. I'm not saying I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. commit it immediately and share it to master. Yeah, but it's but just those path names are so long, and I'm so lazy. What path names? <laughs> to all the source. If you want to do an individual pool. Yeah, I'm just saying it's it's a good way to find out because the problem. Okay, before the CL the DX CLI, you had to. Well, here's what I would do: create a sandbox, mm -hmm. uh, and it would be created from source. So at some point in the source, and then tell this person, okay, go to town, do whatever you want, like make your config changes, create your page layouts, all these things. And then I would do, again, using the metadata API, I would do a full pull, but mm -hmm. it's, a, it's not an, it's not a, like a change tracking thing. It just pulls the entire contents of the org. And you have to, you have to pull the entire, especially if you care about profiles, having complete profiles, you mm -hmm. have to pull the entire org, which again, we've talked about, I mean, that in and of itself has some challenges. You can work through them, but pull the entire thing down, and then see what they change. I mean, DX just makes that better because it's got that really fast chain tracking mechanism. Like within, you do a force source pull, I think is what it is, or, mm -hmm. and there's also one that just like check, you can check to see what's changed. Force source status. Status, there you go. And it's, you know, it it the org itself is keep, every time something's changed, it's keeping track of changes. So it just sends back a quick change list, essentially. Yeah. Whereas I don't have to wait for, you know, 15 minutes for my to, full metadata pull to, come back and then see what's changed. So I just think, you know, for that, it's it's a lot better. And the thing is, when I give them that org to make their changes in, I don't want that risk of what if I what if I forget to do a poll or don't do a poll by the time their, uh, what's it called, scratch org, you know, explodes. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I, I, they're going to lose all their changes. I mean, that could be disastrous. So I, I can't yeah. have that. Yeah, I guess that is a challenge to that. I mean, I think that's why they added support for sandboxes to the CLI. Yeah. That's pretty new. I think, Last couple months, something like that. Yeah, I guess I haven't had to deal with that because I have to do both. Well, you don't do sandboxes, or not very often, right? No, but I mean, any kind of config changes I make that I need, I mean, I I'm the one that does it, so right. I do it and then I pull it down and yeah, um, your one man shop. Yeah, but there are times where I have to kind of just experiment and try a bunch of stuff, and it's nice to be able to just kind of blow away that scratch org and create a new one, upload my source. I mean, it takes time to do it, but it is nice to be able to to just kind of rebuild it. And know that I'm I'm back to zero. I'm back to matching my source. Exactly. You don't have to. Yeah. Right. And that's the other the other difficult thing about if you're again some of these. I'm I'm really thankful they're they're doing some of these things because it's making this way better. Because before what you might have to do, especially if you're not using, if you're not good with Git and with uh, the metadata API and all this. T I mean, because I, I used to. I mean, I had this. It worked, but it was still like this really customized tooling. It had you know, there's a lot of. There's a lot of ant, custom ant, uh, mm -hmm. what are they called? Projects, builds, whatever. Um, a lot of bash scripts to automate stuff. Um, it worked, but it was, it was, it's just very, it still seemed pretty ham fisted. Um, but one of the, but if you, but, and if you don't have that capability, and a lot of, I mean, most companies don't. I mean, they don't, they just don't have a developer that can do those things. Yeah. And so what they do is they create a sand. And, and this is if, even if they're trying to be good about not making big changes in production or not making changes in production, right. and they might create a sandbox and they do some changes there. And when, they, when they're like, okay, that's cool. Let's push this to production. Now they're like, okay, well, do you remember what you changed? Because we need to build a change set now. Can you tell me the things you changed? That was always painful. I know. And you can look at a setup log. That's one thing. But I mean, th again, this is obviously so uh, error-prone, manual, slow, unproductive, and it's just, it's like always backfires because you, you end up building that, you know, you build the change that you think you got it, and then you try to push it to production. It's like, fail, uh, you forgot this, or, you know, I mean, there's just like, and you yeah. just over and over and over. And of course, every time you do it, you go through that thing of where you push the change set up and it says it's there, but then you go to production and production says, there's no, there's no, 
whatever. Or you go to deploy it, and the, the deploy mechanism it lets you start it. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, we don't, wait a minute, fail because we don't know of this at all. And it's just one of those things you have to know just to wait. It's, it's caught somewhere in the ether between your sandbox pod and your production pod. Right. It hasn't, you know, whatever, whatever the interstitial, interstitial, yeah, interstitial <laughs> mechanism that connects these pods, you know, is, is still doing its thing. It's, you know, out in the, uh, it's out in the ether. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't, hasn't made it home. Um, and that's just, that's just no way to work, man. That sucks. Cause you're just gonna have so many errors. I mean, you're, it's so easy to not get all your change into production. And so you're not, you don't, again, that's back to the kind of the, another flavor of like, there's no known good build. Cause even if that is a good build, like how do you get those exact bits in production? And the answer is, well, you, you really, there's no way to know that you are. Right. You very, very may well be leaving something out or. And I, th- I think that's why Salesforce, not just for ISVs is encouraging um, pretty much everyone to go to, to, to source driven development uh, with the unlocked packages, essentially. Yep. Um, essentially, create a namespace for your company, mm-hmm. do all your customizations with it, release it as a package versus all these individual classes and everything being released. I have been using unlocked packages for a year or so. I'm just not sure I'm using them right in some cases. Mm-hmm. And, and they've also got some... And the thing is, you have to figure out what you're optimizing for. Also, we've had issues where we have packages for things, we install them, but then people want to make some changes to them. Yeah. And then the problem is, in, depending on the type of packaging you use, you, you, you kind of have to uninstall that package. They may lose all their like all their customizations to these things. Then you deploy back in an updated version of the package. It's just, I don't know. It's like you have to figure out what do you want to optimize? For? Yeah, and I think I think I saw somewhere of like if you're going to go that route is to really modularize your packages. So have all your database schema in its own package, and have your logic, business logic, and everything else in a separate package, so that there's no overlap. So that you, if you do end up having to roll back your entire you know business logic package, your data doesn't have to get rolled back, and it'll still be there. Yeah, that's if those things are as cleanly defined and. Enter and and independent as you yeah. would might might need them to be. I don't know. It's a, and I've seen I've seen people try to just get to get back on the, like how do you if you've got a big the big happy soup which most people do how do you how do you start to package up the things in your org, and that's tough. And I've heard I think yeah. it's Stephen Herod he's he's had this advice for a while that's like, well, um, what does he say? Do it by uh, kind of by I think he said I think he, I think his advice has been do it by object like figure out kind of which custom objects or whatever are kind of together and try to split it up that way. And I, I've just, I've never seen how, I mean, in, in a, in a realistic org, mm-hmm. like things are, too, things don't, if, if you didn't design them that in, independent of each other, like it's, it's not an app. I don't see, I don't see how that's a strategy that works. And, and I, you know, I think people are, there's still, we are in our, we are in the infancy of modular, modularizing Salesforce orgs right now. Yeah. And, yeah, we really are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just the beginning, and and there's so much. First of all, I mean, I think a lot of things Salesforce wants to do, it's not out yet, you know. So first, we're just waiting on the technology to arrive, but also when it does arrive and arrive in a way that is good, then people have to learn how to use. Okay, how do I take these tools and apply that to my situation? Yeah, and in a, most orgs, I mean, certainly in non-trivial orgs, I mean, there's there's no easy or right answer to that. It's going to take a lot of hard work of breaking down things and figuring out what you're, how much you're willing to rewrite, and it's going to take work to to disentangle this spaghetti mess. Yeah, 
Yeah, not to mention just just how things are kind of spreading further apart. I mean, we have these new developer tools, we have these new ways of of doing these things, but then you have the encouragement of process builder and flows, which kind of exists separately from all that. I mean, I I don't think there's a good story around how all of that kind of plays together. Yeah, because the complexity I mean, are your process builders are they are they divided up just by they can only touch one object? No, they they span all kinds of objects. It's just yeah. you know, and that's what people get into. I don't know what you call it nowadays. You used to call it trigger hell, but now it's just automation hell. It's, you know, yeah. all the things. All just, the things. <laughs> just fighting with each other. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that'll be fun uh, to see where Salesforce goes with this. I mean, it's encouraging that they're thinking about all this stuff and that there's, because it's source-driven, that that puts a lot of attention on the metadata, which they've they've had for for years. <laughs> and again, Salesforce, they've got the hardest job. They're trying to back into all this because yeah. when Salesforce was... I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, 15 years ago, maybe more, I mean, some of the vision Benioff had for Salesforce being like a platform you could build stuff on. But I mean, this is back when this was back when there were custom fields, but that was it. There was no custom objects or anything. So, I mean, I think a lot of the modularization and the and the metadata driven aspect of Salesforce has they've they've had to back they've had to bolt that on right in. A retrospective, like a, 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 I don't even know how to describe it, in a way that well, they had to evolve into it. Uh, yeah, exactly, and, and that's uh, so they didn't. It's not like because I'm sure if they could like sit down and design Salesforce all over, it's like okay, well that, but the, but there's just all this legacy, there's all these orgs out there, and all this existing code, and so I, I feel that pain right now because oh, yeah, I'm, no. I'm in a code base that I need to evolve, but it's kind of stuck where it is right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I if I was to stop and rewrite it from scratch, a that's a really bad idea. But B, that means no one's making money. My also, company, the you, company's going out of business because you, there's nothing to sell. And you have control over your code, and you're not having, you don't have to worry about other people's code, right? You, you can Salesforce has to worry about everyone's code. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, every, that's and every, everyone's metadata. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, just and, God, just think of on top of that all these, you know, Salesforce supports all different versions of metadata and all different versions of APIs. So think about it. Every time they come out with a new version of Salesforce. They basically got all these facade layer or translation layers between different versions of things. Yeah how 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 much longer do you think before they they do the Apple or the Microsoft? What is Microsoft? Did they kick the boot on Win thirty two? Win thirty two. They're starting to. They're they're. I don't know. I think they're starting to. But yeah, Apple just basically said, "Yep, we're on this new Unix platform." <laughs> yeah, run run an emulator. Yep. yep. <laughs> and Apple can do that because, you know, there's no ATM machine in the world that runs on Mac OS, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they run on Windows. <laughs> 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 which is not which is also not reassuring, but you ever gone up to an ATM machine and seen a blue screen of death in yeah. you know, Windows NT or yep. whatever? <laughs> oh, worse, XP. Oh god, that's yeah. that is scary. You get the little grass and the that kind of candy looking toolbar at the bottom. Yeah. You know, if something's running on Windows NT three was it three five one or four, that's that's pretty stable. You know, and that's it's it's a pure thirty two bit operating system and you know, nice microkernel architecture, you know, still still has some Windows corrupt in it. But I mean okay. That's not the end of the world if your ATM runs on that. Or if or if some friggin' like subway you know switching mechanism or something runs on that. <laughs> Even the, actually that that scares me the death out of why, me. <laughs> why aren't they all running on Docker the lightweight container? Oh, that's a whole other topic, John. That's <laughs> I can't even think about that right now. Yeah. Uh let's see. Well let me see what else we got here on my list. That might have been everything I really care about. 
I mean, did you follow this whole kerfuffle with platform events and just lots of lots of failures? Are people not getting messages? And you know, people. This is when I have not jumped to using platform events as my like kind of enterprise messaging bus because I it's just too it's too new for me. I mean, I'll use it, but it's nothing. Nothing. You know, I've, I've I've not yet been comfortable to use it with for for the mechanism. Like, this is how I'm going to get data that I have to get. I, I'm not. I don't use it for that. Like, if because you know, there's they've had all kinds of problems this past couple of weeks of people just not getting the events. The data's lost forever. Mm. Salesforce says we can't get it back. And 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 at the same time, well, you, always, know, you got all these Salesforce architects out there saying use. I mean. Um, who is it? Uh, Jay has got a talk he's giving at, at Dreamforce that's all about using platform events as your enterprise messaging hub. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, I, I'd see how you can do that. Is it a good idea to do that right now? Well, it can if you understand what you're getting into, I think. I think people are just using it as the de facto. They're not doing the due diligence of understanding how to recover from the failures. Um, I, I think back to when I was learning about how Heroku connected to Salesforce for data replication and they actually use the streaming API for communication, but those aren't guaranteed. You know, messages could get lost. They could, I mean, if you're not there to catch the feed, then you're tough luck. So they had this, this other uh, uh, logic module. What am I thinking? Either way, they had this other process process that would use the kind of get recent updated feature as well. So it would, not only would it rely on the feed to get data replicated over, but it would also kind of, double check that feed by grabbing everything that was updated within a time frame and do the merging as as needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They've got that is it that they I think they used to call it the replication API but there's like the get updated, get deleted, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um so they, yeah, I mean they were using those. a combination of those yeah. things and I think that's pretty much what you have to do because I mean the platform event is basically the streaming API. It's just it's just a more formal contract. Um yeah, and there's I mean this I, I think I think there are actually different technologies. I mean I and, and I thought they were all Comet D based uh, well, protocol. Like with so with platform events, you know, you've got replay IDs. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's just a more formal contract, though. I mean, you have you have some queuing mechanism, and you have the IDs. But I thought just in terms of protocol and sending and sending broadcasting out the event, it was the same technology. I could be wrong. I, I could be. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what they're using, but just I think the way you work with those APIs is is different. They they offer different kind of yeah. features and different trade-offs. Yeah. But I, I, if I, I was a CTA, I could explain those to you, John. You could. <laughs> you could. But you're not. No. <laughs> which means you suck. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Which right. is why you're not I, worth well, six, billion, no. $6 billion right now because no. you're not a CTA. No. You're not um, the CTA in chief. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's that's unfortunate because I do really like that platform event feature. I mean, it's it's not like a full scale, you know, queuing. I mean, it kind of is in a way. It's I don't who knows what they're using on the hood. Probably like I don't know, one of these Apache, you know, message queues or whatever. Um, but it's really nice, and the you know, the, and you can customize your platform events, and that and change data capture is kind of built built upon that same mechanism. So, I mean, you know, that Salesforce is intending that to be a rock solid, reliable thing. It's just. It's just, I don't think it's there yet, though. I, I think, yeah, I, I just, yeah. It's supposed to be there. I mean, the story is it's there. It's supposed to be durable, you know. Is it? It's supposed to be. I mean, I, you know, I don't have the documentation in front of me, but. I, I thought when I, and again, I'm, I'm not following it because I'm not really using it right now, but I thought that the, my, my original, initial read on the platform events was that it wasn't, it wasn't 100% um, durable, that it you could lose messages and then you just have to build in the recovery for it. I mean, they definitely will expire if you don't get them 
in a certain in a certain window. Is it what is it? Twenty is it twenty four hours or something like that? Um, yeah, I'm I'm looking for where they t talk about qualitatively, like. Um, I mean, enterprise messaging, I mean, that, let's see, uh, yeah, I, in the, at least in the guide, it doesn't, it, I don't, I'm not seeing where it gets into, like, what kind of guarantees they offer, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, well, the guarantee but is. what's the what, SLA on that, Jeremy? Yeah, exactly. But, the, <laughs> no, there is, there is a guarantee, like, if it, that the, and a message will stick around for this much time, you have to grab yeah. it with that amount of time, and then, of course, there's the, there's the, the replay ID, so, if you lose connection or some things go down for a while, you can always just pick back up where you left off and you're guaranteed not to lose messages as long as you do it within. Yeah. Before the message expires. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, mean, I, well, I, I don't know the details of really, or, or for sure if anyone did lose data, it sounds like, it sounds like people did though. It's just, um, it's unfortunate because I, I didn't want to lose confidence. I didn't want my customers to lose confidence in that feature because, you know, something we're doing stuff with and planning to do a lot more with and, just the idea that it's just like anything else that they've introduced process builder was the same way go and use process builder <laughs> and then it was like oh crap don't use process builder and then oh no go use process builder or we'll yeah. kill you and then and then now <laughs> it's of course you know we had this that thread in the slack and by the way if people if you're not in the slack you should join the slack gooddaysirpodcast.com click on community put yep. your email address get in our slack because there was this really interesting thread i, I think i started it because i was doing a trailhead and it, it and it was it said you know whatever you do basically always use process builder unless you absolutely have to use code you should always use product and i'm just like that's just not that's just not true you I shouldn't mean, I, always i have your quote here i can read it okay uh it, this was a module for dotnet developers though right? was it it was it's it's i think it's for dotnet developers who are learning like apex and salesforce all right so the quote that you posted was now we know how much dotnet developers love to solve problems with code but we have a super big productivity well, by the way, tip which, for which you that in, that in itself is like an insult. Uh, we know you .dot .net developers love to use your code. Yeah. It's like really come well, on. You're kind of reading into that one. But I mean, it's what it says, yeah. and, and and also you didn't say the noun right. It's now we know you .dot .net developers love to use your code. Well, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't put the emphasis on it when you quoted it. <laughs> okay. Uh, you only want to resort to using a trigger when you're absolutely sure that the same thing cannot be accomplished with one of our point and click automation tools. We're serious about this one. If you are caught writing a trigger for a process that could have been handled by a process builder or another declarative tool, we'll come looking for you. Yeah. Just and, joking, sort of. <laughs> we'll come looking for you. Yeah. That was the actual quote or I at mean, least that you posted. It, it's first of all, that, again, just to say that, you know, it should always be a trigger. It's that's just reductive. It's 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 I think I said lazy. It's lazy, it's reductive. I mean, usually you should actually stop and think about what you're building, how big it is, what's involved, how you're going to maintain it, who's going to maintain it, what skills you're going to have. You need to think about those things before you decide which technology you're going to use. I'm sorry. This yeah. it's just that's I don't any I don't know anyone who would disagree with me on that. And the second unfortunate thing about the way they were is just how emphatic they are about it. Yeah. Like they couldn't possibly be wrong. But anyway, um I, you know, apparently some people took my message to people who I can actually get things done and they they agree that maybe that maybe that should be reworded, and so we might see a change in that. So that's good. Who's the um, who is the person that's like the face of Trailhead? It's uh, hang on. Do, 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 do. I don't know. <laughs> I'm go. trying not to have dinner. I could go talk. get your badges.
Is, that, is that is that the Chris Duarte? Is that who is that who that clip is? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think she does Trailhead. So anyway, um, well, I think I'm, there's I'm multiple sure writers. Or something, but... I think there's multiple writers for for Trails, and that's why uh, that was my right, question: right. was who wrote it? Like, was it was it like some community? Because like like Salesforce well, blog, they'll 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 bring in people to to write on the blog yeah. and everything. And... I'm, I'm, try, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. I don't care who wrote it. Really, uh, the, the the salient point is that it's just not. It, I don't I don't feel like it's. It's not an accurate message to send to people, especially people who are learning Salesforce for the first time or, or they're kind of new and getting started. It's like, that's just because I know better, mm-hmm. but they don't. And my clients who may be doing some trails, they don't either. And so I don't want to have to deprogram them. It's already bad enough, if they, especially if they go to Dreamforce. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of deprogramming to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, anyway. I guess my only point was that, you know, I was trying to understand, you know, was it just someone who's just being overly cute there's a know, lot of tongue-in-cheek yeah, you know right. trying to be entertaining in the module you know I, I do think there was an aspect of that yeah. you know and, and and that's fine i mean it, it was a little bit of like we'll come and get you or whatever you know yeah. I, I i i get it that that's facetious but but no it's i mean i i think overall i mean just from some of the other responses i've seen on twitter and elsewhere they're pretty receptive if you have feedback but it's nice if feedback comes from you know people who because some of these people in our community have significant pull and and it's nice one because apparently some, some, some calls were made. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, yeah, that, that'd be, that'd be interesting to see if um, Salesforce, I don't know, just, I think it's just changing the messaging a little bit around. Yeah. Or something that honestly is just a little more accurate, you know, and it's, it, uh, it really feels like Salesforce's, um, you know, branding and marketing, people have just a little bit too much sway in some of these like that sound that that's a message that seemed like it comes straight from because you know salesforce is trying to be this um what do you call it low you know low code point and click you yeah. know that that's part of their message because they're they're trying to combat the message that salesforce is expensive and you have to have really expensive consultants to to build it and you know it's uh, salesforce in and of itself is already not a not not an inexpensive tool right and so that's part of their that's part of their main marketing messages. Hey, this is uh, this is a low code. You're going to build enterprise software, customized to everything you're doing, with points and cl- with you know points and clicks, right? Yeah. And and th- that's fine. Leave that for the marketing people, though. When it comes to Trailhead, and I know that Trailhead is uh, it Trailhead is also very much a public face of Salesforce. It's free. You can jump right into it, all that kind of stuff. But th- I I think the 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 well, it's a bit of a marketing tool th- as well. I mean, they they send anybody and everybody to. To the trailhead. I just think we need to make sure we're, we're, we're staying a little bit more pedagogical with, with trailhead. Oh, that's a word I don't know. Pedagog. What is that? <laughs> Define. <laughs> I don't even know how to spell it. Pedagogical. <laughs> pedagogical? Pedagogical. Okay. Define. Hold on. Pedagogical. Pedagogical. I can't find it. Really? Well, here, John. The def- the dictionary tells me it means it's an adjective and it means related to teaching. Oh, let me put that pedagogical. on my pedagogical. Sorry, pedagogical. Sorry, pronouncing it correctly. Oh, someone did well on their SATs. <laughs> I think I think I did get a pretty good score on my SAT. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, yeah, I mean, let's keep that a learning platform, not a not a, a messaging not. platform. <sighs> it's not. Uh, we know that. Know. It, it. I disagree. I think it is a learning platform. 
I mean, it's it's that's weird to argue it's not a learning platform. A lot of people have learned a lot of stuff on Trailhead. I mean, probably hundreds of thousands of people. It's their primary way, and they've learned a lot on. And there's a ton of content out there yeah. on on Trailhead. So I'm not discounting its its value as a pedagogical platform, John. Mm. What I'm saying yeah. is let's let's yeah. keep let's keep it true to its <laughs> its cause here, not just. You know, to keep, it's, it's kick, a, kick the marketing people out when they will try to butt in a, on your meetings. So, so we're the old guys in the room that we don't, uh, and they're catering to a you know, younger audience that wants this kind of stuff, unfortunately, or at least that's what we're told. Is they want this stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, no, exactly. And and also millennials don't know how to use computers. You have to they give them, want you have the to fun give them characters just, and the cute characters, and they want the badges. They get all excited and they can share stuff on the socials, and they want their notoriety and they want to be Instagram famous. And that's not my scene. So I. I I, I really look down on all, a lot of it, but yeah. there are some people who get a lot of value out of it. So yeah, I want to, ever, you know, ever, people. I can only speak for myself, and I can, right. I can only meh based on my own yeah per performance or per blah, opinions. I don't know if it's affected you, but there was a big files outage. Over, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. are we going to talk about that? I mean, it is files went out for like a few days or something. Yeah, about two days. Two days. Yeah, I think it was, was it over a weekend. It was no, it was on a Thursday. Um, oh, it was like a Thursday evening, yeah. okay. and then went right into Friday, which which they started fixing. They fixed the issue, but then they had to kind of resync all the files, and so that was taking time. So there's a change to the file system. I guess they do this regular optimization of the file system that stores all the files. Um, I guess it shuffles them around and puts them in the right places so the it's, gigs are optimized for access. They have, to, they have to defrag their hard drives. Yeah, exactly. Oh, maybe that's, <laughs> that's, a, good, that's a good one. Uh, do you remember doing that? I, do, I used to oh, do that yeah, constantly. I, I still... So my, my, my current version of that is I have a this app called clean my Mac and I <laughs> yeah. run it like twice a day. Sometimes, even though it's mainly clearing out temps, temp data that yeah. doesn't matter, but I, I'm, I'm killing my SSD drive. Cause I'm doing all these. Deletes. Actually, I don't, um, yeah, you don't want a lot of turn on your SSD, which is also, I think a reason why you don't defrag SSDs. Cause oh, it's, yeah. it's just better. You don't want the churn. Yeah. You only flip those bits back and forth so many times. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it was fun seeing that little, that whole degret, the, the graph that it would give you and watch all the bits kind of line up. And I know it felt like you were cleaning it. It felt like you well, were just getting organized. I mean, I can remember like I had, you know, I think it was like Norton defrag or something. I remember like on two eighty six or maybe even before that, like I think in my, my eighty eighty eight, I think I, I think I had a defragger. I think it was probably Norton or one of those. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was one of the coolest graphics programs you could get yeah. on a computer, you know. <laughs> it really was, <laughs> and I'm and you're thinking, is that real? Is that, that's really like, yeah. is that a real representation, or is that just crap? But I, I think it was real. It's actually, it was a yeah, that, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, the webinar was the, so the webinars are kind of iffy on those things. I'm glad they have them so they can, but people people either need to join on time or just freaking listen. I can't tell you how many times they answer the same damn question. 30 times hat tip to Salesforce for taking it in stride and going, sure. I, I I'll, I'll be glad to repeat that list yeah. <laughs> without, without sounding pissed or, right. or facetious or anything. Yeah. They did a great job because I was in my head going, this is a waste of my time. Stop asking the same Fitbit question. Now I'm going to believe that. <laughs> Dang it, John. <laughs> Sorry. You could say that on cable. <laughs> that's true. But now you're going to believe it. And it's going to sound worse. I know. No, that's, I should just bleep like every fourth word of yours. Make it make it sound like you're. Oh, we should do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's an episode where we bleep randomly yeah. bleep words. Yep. Yeah. Can I get Einstein to randomly bleep words for us? Mm, I'm sure you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we should be able to have Einstein bleep our just just the curse words. Should be able to do that. Should. Yeah. Up oh, and do our transcript so we can be uh, more 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 SEO. Yeah. Optimized. Yep.
that's a that's a redundant, isn't it? SEO optimized, search engine optimization it kind optimized. Of it's like pin number, right? Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah. I knew what you meant. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. I mean, I had I had had a topic on technical debt since I'm dealing with a lot of technical debt and what that really means. And but that's a longer conversation of waxing. Um, there was a new Einstein search um, announced. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think I looked at that. Looked, I mean, that that could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a search feature helps yeah. you find stuff better. I mean, there's it's, not really much to say about it. I mean, it's it's a good use of the technology. I think it's basically to me, Einstein search is. You know what a domain specific language is? I don't think a DSL. So. No, so it's like a programming language that's made for a. Like well, SQL is a great example. It's like a domain okay. specific. It's it's a flank. It's a language for, for data, know, data stuff, right? To me, Einstein search is a domain specific search. It's a search that's not generic, just meant to search everything and nothing. It's a search meant to search your your CRM. Yeah, which I, th- I think is is good. I mean, it, it it it's tough trying to figure out what to index. It's tough trying to figure out what to prioritize. So you know, just kind of making these global global things. Okay, accounts and contacts, and you just kind of let let users just kind of click the more to search for everything else. But this this ideally would make searching a little more relevant because it's supposed to search more than than what you just yep. normally have indexed. I don't know how it's going to do that. I'm curious about how it's going to actually index that stuff for searching or or how it's going to obfuscate it or what impact it has on Shield because Shield has always kind of been iffy when it comes to searching. Because in order for it to encrypt it at rest, it means it can't really index your stuff because then it's storing unencrypted data for the index. There's, there's ways to actually to do that. There are, well, they do. They yeah. have two encryption methods okay. now um, where they didn't used to. Mm-hmm. So it was either an all or none thing, but now they have two encryption methods that does let you search. It kind of does have shield for that. Yeah. Um, that does let you search and it does give you a little bit of functionality back with your SQL filters and things like that because it impacted that as well. So, I mean, this is obviously a search UI function, but um, yeah, I was just curious about how they're going to handle that. Yeah, search. Yep. Search is a thing. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, let's wrap it up, John, because I uh, it's been a while. It's actually, we're, it's going to be an hour and a half show, maybe. Oh, let's go for it's two. It's getting late. I'm, I'm getting uh, text messages about dinner. Yeah, I am too. Well, uh, you want to do good the catching up with you again, John. It's been a while, a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I just want to sleep. I do I, too. You saying that is making me. F- not feel good. Sorry. Like I can't tell if I'm hungry uh, or if I'm getting some. If I'm feeling sick. Power of suggestion. It is. I'm feeling great, John. Aren't you feeling great? No. <laughs> no, I know what it is. I stayed up too late. I was working late, and then I I couldn't get my brain to unwind. Yeah, so sucks. I started playing Zelda's uh, the new Zelda game, the the Zelda Awakening. It's a good game. Oh, what do you have that on Switch? Switch. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, Wait a minute. Like, no, we have uh, the Spirit. Whatever. There's a new Zelda. Yeah. Okay. We still have the what's it the Call of the Spirit or something like that or the Wild Spirit or. The original Zelda. Oh, I could have told you until you said that. See Zelda, Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Yeah, okay. Spirit. I don't know where I got Spirit. Yeah, but my kids won't play that. It's too open ended for them. Oh, which I'm like, damn it! I've been spending sixty bucks on that game. Yeah, we'll spend another sixty bucks on the on the new Zelda. It's more it's more in tune with the classic Zelda, the kind of art RPG mechanisms, and but it's got really great artwork and everything, and it's just as tedious as as Zelda, but yeah. uh, it's it's fun. I like it. Since we talked about games, just real quick. Did you install the arcade, or have you used the arcade on iOS? No, but I'm browsing it because it is on the Apple TV now since oh, that yeah. got updated. Oh, so yeah. it's pretty cool, man. There's a, I mean, there are arcadey kind of games, yeah. but there's a lot of them. And I've 
Robert, I've just, I saw three or four. It I won't know. be long, and you'll be making a, a custom gaming machine because you'll be like, I'm a gamer. Now. I know, yeah. I have a video card with like four heat sinks and huge Yeah, if anyone's going to nerd out about it, it's going to be you. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't have Custom tubing, yeah. neon lights. I'd have to give up brewing. A keg PC does both at the same time. <laughs> God. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>